And I had to close my eyes there just for a minute and just listen uh, to your voices. I love being able to worship and praise God together. It's good to do that. But we uh, are continuing our series in the book of First John this morning. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have loved the last five weeks just taking some time to walk through uh, this book together. And I've been reading some of the blogs that you have been writing as uh, you've been sharing what God's been teaching you through this book. Um, but it's been really good. John, he's writing these words to us at the very end of his life. So he has, we have the benefit of John's maturity, of his wisdom. He's focused on what really, truly matters. And John, when he's writing these words, he's likely one of the last people alive who's uh, been with Jesus and walked with Jesus. And so I, I just have loved how he's been clarifying our faith, focusing us, reminding us of what is most important. Um, following Jesus can be hard. And there's lots of things that we can misunderstand, and there's ways that we can just get off. And so it's been, uh, we need a voice like John's to help us to, to see and to focus. And so there's these kind of three themes that are echoed over and over uh, in the book of 1 John. And so instead of preaching the book kind of chronologically from the beginning to the end, we've been jumping around a little bit as we focus on each of these themes. And so the first three weeks, we talked about things that we misunderstand about Jesus. Um, and John was really clarifying there for us. In the last two weeks, we've been talking uh, about this word obedience. And John is trying to help us understand that we, we think about obedience sometimes in the wrong ways. And he's wanting to help us think rightly about it. And so we, we looked over the last few weeks about how obedience isn't just uh, trying to be a good person uh, or trying to please an angry God. And we also looked at how obedience isn't just about behavior. It's about fellowship and abiding with Jesus. Today, John wants to show us that obedience is also connected to a longing that all of us have a longing to overcome a broken world. And what John shares for us is so powerful. I think it can absolutely reframe the way we think about obedience uh, if we let it. And so uh, I, I want to jump in this morning. Uh, you know, there's lots of ways that we can get tripped up when we think about uh, obedience. Um, we talked even last week about the lens we use to kind of see God um, and, and how that uh, can totally get us off. There's this other real tension that I think has to be named, something we have to acknowledge when we talk about this word, obedience. And it's that for most all of us, let me take that away, for all of us, there is an internal struggle when it comes to this idea of obedience. It's part of what makes it difficult to obey. There is something in us that struggles and resists. And if you don't believe me, let me just ask you this. When you hear the word obey, we hold that word in your mind, the first thought that comes to your mind, is it a thought about restriction or is it a thought about freedom? When you hear the word obey, do you think of it as restriction or do you think of it as freedom? Is it something keeping you from something you want or is it something that gives freedom? I think for most all of us, that word brings with it a feeling of restriction. Boundaries, guidelines set around our life that somehow take away our freedom. And because that is what we believe or think about obedience, there is something in us that wrestles, that resists. You know, Paul, he talks about this idea in Romans 7. He says, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. 
But sin, seizing opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. 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 You get what he's saying, right? He's saying every commandment, every instruction brings to the surface a desire to resist or push against. So it's no wonder why our thinking and feelings about obedience can be so complicated. It makes sense to me that this is something that John wants to help us think rightly about. John is going to prove to us this morning that obedience is not about restriction. It is overwhelmingly about freedom, fellowship with God, and our desire to overcome the world. So let's turn together to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be reading in verses 1 through 5. John says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves who has been born of Him. But this we know, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Right away, John starts by making it really clear for us what obedience is not. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This is what it means to be saved and only this, believe that Jesus is the Christ. So our obedience is not connected to our salvation. It's not what earns us our salvation, right? Everyone take a deep breath. That is terribly good news to us. Our obedience is not connected to our salvation. If we try to carry the weight of earning our salvation, then obedience is always going to be a road that is defeating and is oppressive because we simply cannot obey enough. We cannot do enough. Christ alone secures our salvation. So if obedience for you is tied in some way to your salvation, if it's kind of a so that word, you obey so that, you're never going to experience the freedom and the fellowship that God has intended. So John frees it from that for us here in verse 1. And he continues. He says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. John's saying that some of the fruit that is born out of our love for God, our relationship with God, is that we Love what God loves, right? This makes sense to me. Uh, I love my wife, Janae. I'll just kind of hang it there for the record on camera. I do not love all of the, th- oh, sorry, I love my wife, Janae. I do not like all of the things my wife likes. Here's an example. My wife loves the Gilmore Girls, likes, likes the Gilmore Girls. Loves, probably love is actually appropriate. Uh, she, those are her people, like she would live in Stars Hollow or whatever, Uh, If she could, she has tried to get me to watch Gilmore Girls at least twice a year, like every year since we've been married, and I just cannot get into it. I don't care for it. I don't like anything about it. Um, (laughs) But what my wife truly loves, I love. The people she loves, her siblings, her family, the students that she works with, some of the students that she works with. Some of the fruit of my love for my wife as we've been in relationship, some of what's bore out of that is I I begin to love what she loves. And I do, I truly and deeply love the things, the people that she truly loves. 
So I think he's saying that as we follow God, some of the fruit is we love what God loves, we love God's people. But he's, I think he's also reminding us something that we, we just have to continue to hold in focus. Our faith was never meant for us alone. It was always meant to be communal, to be walked out together. And so our love for God means we love the people of God and we are invited into something bigger than just my private relationship with Jesus. It is about something much larger. And so I can say, I love you. I love you uh, for a lot of reasons because a lot of you have been in my life and in relationship. Uh, We may not like all of the same things or agree on every issue. In fact, I promise we don't. Uh, But God's love for me has given me love for what he loves, right? And that's you. And by the way, love of all others, of the family of God, it means our love isn't just bound to a denomination or group, okay? It's not just pulpit rock. It's not bound to our social or financial status or to our own race or political perspective or even to our exact theological persuasion. It is much broader. It is much wider. It is anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. So our love for God means we love what God loves We love the people of God. John continues in verse 3. He says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know, John, he uses this word commandments three times in just these five verses. uh, And I think it's worth asking the question, what, what are the commandments that John is referring to? What is this thing we are being asked to obey Um, that our obedience requires. And I think some of the most famous commandments when we think about commandments are the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses, right? But those aren't the commandments and instructions that John is talking about in in this text. He's talking about the new commandments that Jesus gave. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he made a new covenant with us, right, that replaced the old covenant of law. And we read about these commandments in, in Matthew 22. Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. So this is what John's talking about. When he's talking about keeping commandments, this is what he's referring to. And I think the language that John uses in verse 3 is really helpful to us to understand uh, kind of some nuance about this idea of obedience. He says, this is the love of God that we do his commandments. And he says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. The word to keep in in both Hebrew and Greek, it does not mean to do. The Hebrew word for keep is shamar. And it means to keep, to observe, to take heed to, to retain his treasure, to be a watchman, to regard. The Greek word for keep is tereo, and it means to keep, to guard, to watch, to preserve, to reserve, to take care of, to keep watch over, and to hold fast. Notice the language. What's it focused on? It's all focused around this idea of protecting, to keep, to retain, to take care of. It's about protecting something important, something that is treasured. And it's an important distinction. You see, I have, uh, I like to fly fish, and I have a fly rod uh, that is really precious to me. 
I have three cases for this fly rod. And in case you don't believe uh, that it is precious to me, my fly rod is not actually in here because in case I dropped it, I didn't want something to happen. Um, I have three cases for this silly stick that catches fish, right? Uh, I have the case that it came in. I have a padded case that I use when I travel. And I even have a, a rack on the top of my car that when the fly rod is completely assembled at 10 foot long, I can slide it in and it's protected to my drive down to the river uh, so that when I get there, I can just take it out and, and do some fishing. Um, if we ever fish together, uh, which I'd love to do if you're into fly fishing, let's talk. Um, I will probably not let you fish with this rod unless you've done some fly fishing before. I'll probably give you one of my uh, older rods. Not because I don't like you, but because this is something that I protect, that I preserve, that I guard and regard. John's saying that our love for God means we keep and protect and guard his commandments because they are something treasured to us. Now, protecting or treasuring a commandment might seem as silly to you as protecting a long stick that is used to catch fish, right? But the whole purpose of the fly rod, the whole reason I have it, the reason I protect it and I treasure it is spending time on the river. It's being in creation, it's rest, it's peace, it's adventure, time with God, time with friends. That is why it's important to me. That is why that silly stick is worth regarding. In the same way, the whole purpose of the commandments, it's to love God and the, the whole purpose of the commandments to love God and to love others. It, it's to overcome the world. It's to experience what our heart most longs for. It's intimacy with the God of the universe. It's flourishing and delight. Both God's commandments and the fly rod, they're keys that unlock a deeper treasure. Keys we have to keep and protect and watch over because they're priceless. This is what John is trying to help us understand about obedience, about keeping God's commands. And this is the love of God, that we do that. And obedience like that, it requires time with God. I have to be in relationship with him. I have to learn to listen to his voice and respond. And I can't keep the command of loving God and loving my neighbor without that sort of fellowship together. And so that's one of the other benefits. You know, fellowship with God, abiding with him. It isn't just on the other side of our obedience. It's not a result of our obedience as a reward that is found in the midst of. That very wrestling to follow, to keep, to listen, to obey, it actually is drawing God and I closer together as I learn to listen to his voice and respond to his voice in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as worthwhile as that is, as much as we all long for that on a deep level, anyone who has followed God for any length of time would say, yeah, obedience is really difficult and hard, right? Which is why when John says at the end of verse three, his commandments are not burdensome, I wanna call bologna sandwich, right? They are. But John isn't saying that obedience is easy, because it's not, okay? He's saying that it's, a heavy, it's not a heavy burden. A heavy burden, uh, a burden is something that causes hardship and distress. It's something that's oppressive. You know, the commands of God aren't burdensome because they're rooted in love. Love of God, love of neighbor. Love is hard, 
but it's no burden. Obedience isn't burdensome because it doesn't carry the weight of our salvation. It doesn't carry the weight of our approval or right standing with God. John here, he's connecting how our love for God and our, how our keeping of his commands are intertwined. This isn't obedience out of duty, okay? We don't obey to get something. We don't obey to earn something. We don't obey to prove something. It flows from a love of God that wants to protect something treasured. Our obedience to his commands of loving God and loving others are the key to a deeper treasure. And so then obedience becomes this invitation into shalom. This word means universal flourishing, completeness, wholeness, life as God intends. Obedience awakens something deep within us. See, when we keep his commands to love God and love others, we experience his love for us in new ways. We don't love others so that God will love us, but to engage our hearts and an experience of God's love. And as we love what God loves, we are renewed by love. Look how John finishes in verses four and five. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? And we often think that obedience is the burden. Like, if, if you're honest, right? Like, it's the heavy thing that must be carried to follow God. But it's not. In fact, it's the world and our sin nature that is the heavy burden. And that is something that God wants to overcome in us, that he wants to give victory in. And John's saying that the thing that is our true burden the thing that we long to overcome, God also wants to overcome and he wants to establish his, his victory in for us. And here's what's so incredible. He doesn't write that those who have been born of God can overcome the world. He doesn't even write that those who have been born of God will someday overcome the world. He says that we have overcome the world. We have victory now. Faith itself, that is the victory. The very existence of faith in us is evidence of his victory in us. So the word victory here is a Greek word that I promise all of you know. Uh, it's the word Nike or Nike. Uh, it is the only occurrence of this word in all of scripture, these words that John writes. He's saying this is the Nike that has overcome the world, our faith. This Nike results from receiving the faith that Christ imparts. What is faith? Right? It's not just believing something is true. Faith is the evidence or presence of the truth. God is at work building a relationship of faith between us and Himself. And our obedience are following him into that. The keeping of his commands is part of what is growing that relationship of faith. Faith is our believing. It's our confidence. It's our growing relationship with God. And that trust in God, that belief, leads to actions that follow. And those actions 
our obedience is part of this ever-expanding and growing faith in us. And that faith was planted in us by Christ. There's a reason the Bible uses words like the proving or the testing or the strengthening of our faith. The faith is already there. The victory has been established in us. So what God is doing is strengthening it. And that is what overcomes the world in our lives. So not only is God's commands not restriction, it's the means by which we overcome the world. It is our Nike, our victory, our freedom from the brokenness of ourselves and the world. You know, two weeks ago, Jonathan shared uh, how John's helping us see that our obedience has everything to do with fellowship with God, not behavior. And Cindy uh, showed us last week how John's helping us see that our obedience is about who we follow and connected to, to what we believe to be true about them. This morning, John is helping us see that God's commands are not a burden to us. They are a key that unlocks a deep treasure. They're an invitation into an overcoming and victorious life. They're an invitation into shalom, life as God intends. God isn't holding out on you. It's not what obedience is about. It's not a restriction keeping you from something that you want. He's inviting you into deeper waters. And God wants what you want. He wants fellowship, he wants intimacy, and he wants a faith that overcomes the world. The love that John describes here in keeping God's commandments, it is a mature love, one that is protecting and guarding something precious and treasured, a love that recognizes that keeping them leads to flourishing and delight. And Jesus said that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Would you look at that for a minute? Isn't that what your heart longs for anyway? Love of God poured out on him, on others. That's the type of person I want to be. One so secure in my identity as beloved of God that I can generously love others. Someone who experiences the sort of wholeness and completeness and peace and security that God always intended. Someone who overcomes the world. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for me? Can I pray for us? That this would be true. God, we look to you. We see what you have already done for us, in us. That you have given and established faith because of our belief in who you are. We want to be people who overcome the world, who walk in victory, who experience life as you always intended. So we ask that you would continue to grow that in us. Would you empower us to obey, to follow? Would we see it as your invitation and not as a restricting burden?
Would you change our minds about what it means to follow you? We love you. Thank you for loving us. Amen. search the world but it couldn't feel me man's empty praise and treasures of fame never enough and you came along put me back Satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Won't you stand and sing this? I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend.
Amen. Nothing is better. Our team just returned uh, from Lebanon and uh, wanted to invite you to check out the website and read the story of what God is doing uh, through our partners there in Tyre. Uh, But someone from the team took a picture uh, of of this. Uh, It's a mosaic uh, in the ruins of the ancient city of Tyre. And there at the very top is the word Nike, Nike. Obedience is not the burden. It's our Nike, it's our victory. The faith he has given as a result of our belief that Jesus is the Christ. And it's being strengthened and it's growing as we love him, as we love others with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. May we as the people of God follow his invitation into keeping his commands, into obedience, into life as God intends. Go with him.